episode 74 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Marlon Days. I'm a first officer at Delta Airlines on the MD-88 aircraft. I'm currently Atlanta-based. I've been here just over a year and a half, and I'm loving every minute of it. Today's episode is brought to you by AOPA's Pilot Protection Services. As disciplined and meticulous pilots, we are always striving to achieve that perfect flight from engine startup to shutdown. However, even the most experienced pilot can get distracted by a passenger or have a momentary bout of information overload. AOPA's Pilot Protection Services knows that your pilot and medical certificates mean everything to you. And that's why their trusted legal services plan attorneys and medical certification specialists are there to help protect you when things don't go as planned. It's available only to AOPA members and over 64,000 members already participate. So go check them out before your next flight at aopa.org backslash PPS. What is going on, AV Nation, and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today, I'm talking with 24-year-old, that's right, 24-year-old Delta Airline pilot Marlon Days. Marlon is from Jamaica, moved to the States to go to college at Florida Tech and get all his ratings there. He went to a regional airline, and by the age of 24, he is a Delta Airline pilot. It's an amazing story, one that I'm very honored to share and to tell, and I really think that everyone will be inspired from this story just to continue to work harder, continue to create their own luck, put themselves in the best position possible so that you can succeed. This is a great episode and one that I'm very thankful for Marlon to spend the time to come talk to me. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our Patreon page. Special shout out to Schuler Brendan. He's our $20 Patreon of the week. If you would like to be a Patreon of the week, please check out our Patreon page. Check out patreon.com slash pilot to pilot. If you want to find more information out about aviation and pilot to pilot, go to our Instagram page at pilot to pilot. And if you have any information that you want to share with me or any criticism or feedback that you want to share with me, email me at pilot to pilot HQ at gmail.com. Aviation, I do not want to keep you any longer. So without any further ado, here's Marlon Days. Marlon, what is going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, I'm good, Justin. How about yourself? I'm doing really well, man. I'm excited to talk to you today. I'm really excited to be here as well. Um, it should be a good session here today. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, first thing I ask everyone, it's always the same question. What is the original inspiration for you wanting to become a pilot or get in aviation? Okay. Uh, my original inspiration, how I started to wanted to get into aviation was um, at the age of five, I, uh, my prep school, which is the equivalent of a elementary school here in the U.S., um, back home in Jamaica, where I was born, they had a trip, a field trip to uh, Disney. And my mom had decided that she would find a way for me to go, even though she couldn't afford it initially. So she had saved up some money and she got some loans for me to go on this school trip to Disney in Orlando. And I had always loved the aircraft before that, but the real love started when I boarded my first flight to the U.S., back then. And I remember being so excited because back home in Jamaica, we used to have a, what's called a waving gallery mm -hmm. at Norman Manley International Airport. You could basically go, it was like a balcony. So you'd go on the balcony and you'd wave bye to the aircrafts as they leave and you'd be able to get really close. So as a kid, I used to always go there. So that's where the love first started. But when I went on my first flight, I remember the pilots heard me being super excited. <laughs> Uh, when I came on the airplane and um, I was super loud and they basically invited me into the cockpit, That's so cool. um, into the flight deck. And yeah, when I went in, I was always a mischievous kid. I always loved touching buttons and <laughs> <laughs> just touching everything I see and tearing stuff apart. So when I went in the flight deck, um, my eyes lit up. It was, it was like heaven. I was like, Oh, this is so cool. Yeah, so many buttons I remember just looking, push. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yo, this is the ultimate playground for me. Yeah. And I remember saying, I want to be a pilot. And that's just where it started at five. I was just determined. That's the only thing I ever wanted to be. I want to be a pilot. I want to be a pilot. And it was just that little invite into the flight deck that has really sparked my interest in aviation. Do you think that if you didn't get that invite in the flight deck or the cockpit, you would be a pilot today? No, 
no, definitely not. No. I mean, I loved, I love flying, but that was the, um, the little bit of spark I needed to push me to pursue a career into it. How old were you? I was five. Okay. I was five so years old. Still an early age then. You still knew, you pretty much knew what you wanted to do. You got that kick at a really early age. Yeah, very early. Yeah. Very, very early. I got that kick. Does Jamaica have its own national airline? Not anymore. But mm-hmm. growing up, we used to have Air Jamaica. And okay. it, was, it, was, it was a big deal. Um, aviation, the aviation community in Jamaica is very big. You there? Um, it's seen as one of those traditional jobs, like a doctor or a lawyer. Yeah. So a pilot is always something that um, people have always looked up to there. So I know a lot of aviators there. And I mean a lot of people that either are aspiring aviators, either are currently in flight school, either have made it. So it's a, it's a pretty big community there in Jamaica. That's awesome. I love hearing that because obviously growing up in the States, you, you're not really familiar with what the aviation communities are like in other countries. And it's really cool to hear that there's oh, yes. a prospering yes. general aviation community and people want to be pilots. It's just really great to hear that. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, it's, it's, it's huge. I'll, I'll go as far as saying the aviation community there in Jamaica is very huge. Um, now, the thing is that's a lot different from the U.S. is a lot of people there don't have the opportunity you know, I was one of those people that if I didn't move here, I probably wouldn't have been a pilot mm-hmm. because the typical, the average Jamaican can't afford flight school. Right. You know, so um, that's kind of the sad down part of that. But um, I was fortunate and I'm here now. Is that common for a Jamaican pilot to come to the States to get their ratings or are there Jamaican flight schools as well? Um, it's very common, actually. Yeah. It's, it's very, very common because uh, there is, I believe, one flight school there now. And I believe... They've even been having issues with airplanes, so there's not a whole lot of training going on there now. And then even when people do get their licenses, which I think is uh, what's called the JCA mm-hmm. um, rating, which is the equivalent of our FAA, um, I think they have to get that converted if they want to work at plenty of other places. So um, that's also a limiting factor there. Yeah. So they might as well just go to the States and get the FAA rated, Exactly, right? yeah. because they can, get, they can get more airplanes, more consistency, and they'll get a rating that's a little bit more recognized worldwide. Yeah, and it's going to be expensive no matter where you go. Even in Jamaica, I'm sure flight training is still expensive. <laughs> exactly. So they might as well go to yes. the States where you can pretty much go to any airport you want and any flight school you want where there's yeah, more Yeah, you get more one. experience yeah. because it's, it's like now in the U.S., you're, you're in a country where it has tons of airports, um, tons of different experiences. You can actually go on a cross country without leaving the country. Yeah, right. You know, in Jamaica, <laughs> point to point, you can't really do 50 yeah. nautical miles. You're going to be out of the islands. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's, it's, it's that's different dynamics. Different. Yeah, for sure. Yes, very different. So what happened? Let's kind of go back to the flight or after the flight. What kind of sparked? So obviously you got your mind sparked. You want to be a pilot. You want to get into aviation. What was the next step? How did you uh, make this dream that you just had into a realization? And how did you actually go forth and do it? Okay, so the next step, the next step for me, um, it's a pretty pretty lengthy process for me, but I'm going to try to make it um, a little bit <laughs> go for it, man. Short, yeah, go as for much it. as I can. Um, but the next step for me was, um, and so in Jamaica at grade six, you have to take a what's called a grade six achievement test back then. It's kind of the equivalent of uh, the SATs, but it's for high school. Okay. Now we have primary, secondary, and tertiary, tertiary in terms of education there. So our high school actually starts about uh, the seventh grade. Okay. Wow. So at sixth grade, you have to take what we call the GSAT to pass for the high school there. Now high schools there aren't zoned. You got to pass for it. So I passed my GSATs. I did really well. And then I got to a school um, in the city, Kingston, because I was from the rural um, part of Jamaica called uh, Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, so I moved to Kingston at age 11. Now, this move was a big uh, turning point in my life, which I felt like it prepared me for later events, um, which I'll get into in a, in a second. But when I moved to Kingston, I was at a boarding facility. Um, basically, um, my mom paid for a service for um, people to do my laundry and just being like my caregiver mm-hmm. at that point in time while I would go to school at 11 years old. So at 11 years old, I'm in Kingston trying to figure out um, how to take the bus system, the public transportation, how to get back and forth from school um, at 11 years old. So luckily I had friends there um, at that young age to kind of show me how to get around the big city of Kingston because um, I was from the countryside. So that was the next step that I took. And the reason why I went to that school, because it's, it's a really good school. 
and it set up the foundation for what I needed later on in life. So just simple stuff like mathematics and English language and all that stuff. That's a top level school. So that prepared me later on for what I needed in life. So I felt like because I did this at just 11 years old, um, later on in my aviation career, it gave me the confidence to, to feel comfortable to move to a whole new country or move to a whole new state and not have not be limited by fear, if that makes sense. Because at such a young age, I was already kind of on my own traveling and, you know, exploring and not being afraid to explore big cities. So later on, after I went through high school there in Jamaica, I didn't... Um, finish all of the years there. I moved to the US um, at 17, I was at the time. And when I moved to the US, I had one year left of high school to do here, um, year in the US. And the year of high school was um, a very challenging for me, not because the school was difficult, but it was the transition of a new culture, a new country, trying to get used to stuff. Because you know, even though Jamaica is an English speaking country as a number one language, we are governed by or we used to be governed by the England. So that's the traditional or the standard English versus the American English, <laughs> if that if that makes sense. So just yeah. simple stuff like simple words like center, you know, back in the islands, it's spelled C-N-T-R-E. Well, here it's spelled C-N-T-E-R. It's spelled kind of how it sounds yeah. or realize or theater. So just those little things was a little bit difficult. Um, just getting used to even the new way of spelling stuff. So in my one year of high school here in the US, um, I met this lady, her name is, uh, actually, I don't even know if I can mention her name, but um, I won't. <laughs> but uh, I met this lady. Yes, she's safe for yeah. now. I met this lady and um, she was basically kind of a recruiter for the high school. And she was very instrumental in me getting all the different scholarships and stuff that um, allowed me to go to college. So when I went to college, I was the first person in my direct family to attend college. So it was a very, it was a big honor for yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations. That's really cool. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it was a big honor for me. And, you know, the story of even how I got into college was pretty miraculous. I got <laughs> accepted into Florida Tech and now it was 30,000 US a year at the time for tuition. Dang. And in addition yeah. <laughs> to the tuition, I have to fly find flight costs, as you know. So I'm thinking like, how am I going to find 30,000 right. US dollars? Yeah. So there was this scholarship that they were giving it to four people in the whole state of Florida. And basically the topic was, what would this scholarship mean to you? And now, Justin, I said to myself, like, I'm going to get really personal. I'm going <laughs> to let these people know. I'm from a third world country and I don't have it, single mom, all this stuff. And I, I was struggling. I'm, I'm basically going to let these people know I'm was struggling. So I wrote an essay and basically telling them you know, a little bit of my story that this scholarship would open opportunities that I never would have had without it. So I ended up winning the scholarship. It was $10,000 a year. Dang, that's awesome. <laughs> so that was a third of my tuition. So yeah. now I'm thinking, okay, I got 10. <laughs> now I need 20. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, all right, I need $20,000 more. And then I ended up getting the Pell Grant, which is, was another 5,000. And I got a bunch of different other scholarships that when I added up towards the end, I had about 27 out of the 30 or so. So I had about Three, yeah, so I had a, a whole bunch and I'm like thinking, okay, I can't believe I pulled this off. So pulled a scholarship off, got into school and I went to Florida Tech, did three years there, three and a half years because I finished my degree early, did a degree in aviation management with flight there. And then um, after I did the degree, while I had the degree, I, I got my flight instructor, my CFI rating there and all my ratings was done at Florida Tech. I became an instructor by about my junior year. So I was instructing towards the end of college while I was still finishing my degree. And um, that's kind of how I got up to funding myself through school and finishing school up until that point. So that's kind of how I got there. So you, you got the scholarships to pay for the tuition for the school, but I, as you said, you had to pay for flying on top of that. So did you have to get more scholarships oh, for yes, that or what did yeah. you... Um, I've, I've completely forgot to list out this key point. So I ended up getting student loans. Yeah. So, um, 
the loans, we tried a few different options and everything was being denied because my mom at this point didn't really have any credit mm-hmm. and um, she didn't have any assets. So we had to get a co-signer to sign the loan for us. Now, a family friend that known me since I was about five or six, I believe, he had offered and he said, you know, I've known this young man since he was a very young age and he's, he's he has great potential. I'm going to risk everything. I'm going to co-sign it. No way. And yeah, he co-signed it. And that's how I was approved for the loans. So um, to this day, <laughs> I make sure no matter what it takes, I don't miss a loan payment because I remember <laughs> what it took for me to be approved for the student yeah. loan for flight school. Dang. So that's a blessing, man. Yeah. Make sure you write him a Christmas card every single year or something. Oh, yeah, you know? <laughs> definitely. Yeah. So, um, I told him even the other day, I told him, I said, Hey, whenever you want to fly, even if it's not a pass, I will, I will oh, buy, buy you a ticket. You a ticket. Yeah. Where to. are we going? Yeah. I said, <laughs> yeah, I said, where are we going or where you want to yeah. go? Just let me know. I'll get you a ticket. We want to China? Said, we got right, business class. You. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. Just so you understand. Yeah, absolutely, so, man. I am forever grateful and I owe that to him. And even though he's not asked me for anything, I, I've definitely made him feel appreciated for what he did for me. That's so cool. So yeah, that's cool that you had that opportunity because like you said, on top of college, you have to pay for flight training. It's like, okay, cool. Exactly, you go to college, yeah, you're so, like, all right, yeah, I got to pay the 30,000 for tuition. And it's like, oh wait, I need like another hundred grand <laughs> to pay for my flight <laughs> training. It's like, what the heck? Exactly. This goal and this um, job and this dream can just seem so far away. It's like when you first start out, there's so many hurdles you have to jump. Like, I feel like it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. And then when the money comes in and the money just adds even more stress to it. So it's definitely something that takes a while and can be, can be a kind of daunting process to get into. Yeah, that's true. It was, it was definitely a challenge, but, um, somehow with the help of a little family friends and, um, the wonderful lady at high school that helped (laughs) me out and I was able to pull it off. That's awesome. What was your training like? Did you enjoy it? I did, um, for the most part, uh, the private pilot license for me was my di- most difficult course. I struggled to solo. Oh yeah. What happened? Um, I just had, um, a bunch of different instructors. So, um, while I was getting close to solo, I think I personally was getting it. And then I got a new instructor. Then I got a new, I had about four instructors pre-solo. Yeah. So now that's a very crucial stage in your training because now I'm, let's say you're a new instructor. You're not going to come and just sign me off the solo because that's risking your certificate. Yeah, absolutely not. You know, so <laughs> now every time I get a new instructor, this guy wants me to prove everything I've done with the previous instructor. So now that's causing me to be a little bit frustrated and now I'm spending a lot more money than I need to. So that was very frustrating. I got, I had about four and that's because my instructors kept leaving for the airline. Yeah. So airlines. So when I became an instructor later on, I literally finished up all of my students. I think whoever I couldn't finish, I left them at a really good stage, like a state check. I let them do the exam, the check ride, and then I leave. You don't want to leave them so in the I same position about, that you're in when you're exactly, trying Exactly. Yeah. I remember. So, you know, the, the crazy thing is that put me back about two months seniority because I didn't understand how airlines worked back then at the regionals. So right. that put me back about two years, two months, I'm sorry, two months seniority because I finished. But do I regret it now? Definitely not because the flight school loved me for it and the students, they really appreciated me for doing that. So um, I stayed back a little bit extra, make sure they were in a good position before what I left. What would you say was holding you up for the solo? You said that you just weren't getting it. Was it just like the landings or was it just <laughs> the landings yeah. portion of it? The landings, I just couldn't, uh, my sight picture, uh, the rounded and the flare, I would do a perfect approach. And as soon as I get to the rounded and the flare, and I think later on, I realized I was just not looking at the end of the runway or towards the end of the runway. So I, my depth perception was off because I was looking basically straight down. So I think that's what my instructor found out was the problem. And um, when I got when I got uh, everything down pat, uh, that's, I got everything down, at least I thought about my third instructor. And then I got a new instructor and the third one didn't sign me off. When I got the fourth guy, he came and I did one flight with him and he looked at me and he said, why haven't you soloed yet? Cause the, fr- the flight went great. He didn't do anything. And, he, and I looked, I said, I, I don't know. And then he did, he said, okay, we're going to do one more flight. Then we're going to sign you off. That flight was awful. <laughs> it was like, it was like, I didn't know what I was doing. So this dude was like, dude, what happened? Like last trip, last flight, you were amazing. And I, I, I was confident I was going to sign you off after today. And today you came and it was it was a mess. And I said, I don't know. So then we flew again the third time and it was great again. He's like, all right, two out of three, I'm going to sign you off. And 
Yeah, so I had an instructor for about uh, three lessons and he signed me up. That's, awesome. that's crazy. That's funny yes. how you were all ready to go and you're like, all right, cool. Just got to do the same thing I did last time. And you kind of just, just botched it. <laughs> and it's funny. Yeah. That, I mean, that happens every I mean, it's just, you say this, you don't yeah. always bring your A game every day. Like sometimes you gotta, you gotta focus on things a little harder than you did before because you're, you're not necessarily all there and you're not necessarily putting out your best effort, whether, whether all the emotional things or just some other things that are going on. So it's definitely happens to everyone in training. Yeah, that's definitely true. Even to this day, I mean, as an airline pilot today, you have some days you grease them on, everything is going great. And then the next day you're, you're kind of like struggling, man, for real. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're there. I'm sure it happens to you. You're there and you're thinking, like, I can't, I can't get a good one today to save my life. It seems know? to go for so like it, a week at a time, like a, for a week, I'll be able to land a plane better than anyone. And I'll be feeling really good. And then, you know, I'll go home for five days and I come back and I'm like, Oh yeah, I can land this. I'll rusty, yeah. And then I bounce it on. <laughs> boom, boom. And they're like, you good? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> we need to send you back to the simulator. He's like, no, I'll get it. I promise. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it happens. it happens to everyone. Even I'm guarantee yeah. you that even Chelsea Sullenberg probably had a bad landing once in his life too. So <laughs> it definitely, oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I have a question definitely. for you. So you were a flight instructor, sure. so you might know this. Um, so you are, you have a student who's like yourself, you're struggling with landing. He's gone through maybe one, two, three instructors. What does an instructor do in that mindset of getting that student that's had three instructors that hasn't been signed off? Is it common for an instructor to be like, man, he must not be getting it. Like he doesn't really put in his full effort or as an instructor, are they like, man, I need to do everything I can to possibly get this kid or whoever this is to get ready to, to solo and move on. Yeah, so it's a, it's a combination of both. So it can be it can be the student because I've had students that are just not putting in the the required amount of effort, and at least I think they weren't. And then it can also be the instructor. A lot of times I've seen where just different teaching styles as humans, you don't relate well to this teaching style or this method, but then somebody else comes along and you and that person clicks really well. So it can be a combination of both. I've had students that I couldn't get them to do something and I send them with a different instructor, which I think sometimes is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Let somebody else fly with them for a little bit. And I've sent them with somebody else and they come back and they get it. And then we continue on. And I've also had on the flip side, people can't teach a student something and they send them to me and I do a lesson or two with them and they go back and they get it. You know, it just might be something that you aren't seeing as an instructor or is not being related well to the student. So, um, to answer your question, it can be a combination of either side, yeah. student or instructor that's causing it. So I don't know if that helps. Yeah. Probably not. But yeah, that's that's the best answer I can give in regards to no, that. That makes a lot of sense because I had yeah. I did 141 for a little bit. Then I did part 61 for most of my training. But in 141, I also played sports and I wasn't able to, to finish my training. So I had multiple flight instructors and it was kind of the same thing. Yes. By the time I got to the one flight instructor that signed me off the solo, he's like, dude, why haven't you soloed yet? It's like, I don't know. Like they just yes. signed me off. He's like, dude, you got this. <laughs> and he just like walks out of the plane and, and signed me off. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, here we go. <laughs> and then with the, with that case, it's 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 the what I said earlier, where you, you got to keep proving yourself to the prior instructor. Because I come up as a new instructor, I don't know what you know. Even though one forty one is scheduled, mm -hmm. and you see everything that they've completed, you know, yeah. even as much as they try to standardize it, you don't know. You've never seen this guy do a short feet landing. You've never seen him do a steep turn. So, how are you as an instructor going to feel? confident to sign him off and saying he's good because your signature is saying he's good for all the required items that he needs. And if you haven't seen it, then technically you don't really know you're taking somebody else's word for yeah. it. So <laughs> and I'm sure that has some can be a tough loop to get part. into. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's not a good thing to get into. So you said private pilot was the hardest training. What was your instrument like? Did you enjoy it? I loved instrument. I instrument was definitely probably my favorite course. Even to this day, um, when I was an instructor, it was my favorite course to oh, teach. Really? And I think that's why I enjoyed uh, airline flying so much. Yeah, I, um, I think instrument, I, <laughs> yeah, I think an instrument I did, maybe I struggled on one lesson and it was like a localizer back course. And my instructor told me later on that he did it to kind of humble me, like remind me that, hey, this is serious. Like I was just breezing through it for the most part. I was just getting everything. Um, I really enjoyed instrument flying. Um, after private, I, almost everything else was just a yeah. breeze for the most part. What yeah. did you find was the most difficult subject for your students or even, I mean, you said it was a breeze, but you might've had more difficulty than others in instrument. What would you say was the most difficult thing for you to learn an instrument or most difficult for your students to learn? 
uh, most difficult that I've seen an instrument would probably be holding, yeah. holding entries. That uh, I I've tried many different methods, <laughs> and some work, and some don't work, and some work great, and some are just completely clueless situationally where they right. are. <laughs> so I definitely would say holding is the most challenging thing I've seen an instrument, and it's just the entry. Once they get into the hold and they get it then that was the most difficult thing for me to teach them. But everything else for my students, especially, or as a student, even the approaches, they got them really well. Oh, and then another thing that was difficult too um, was just them briefing the approach and flying <laughs> an airplane. I feel like if I was supposed to go in a Cherokee right now and try to hand fly and brief, I think I would just not do well. <laughs> I'm being honest. <laughs> Everyone has their own natural tendency. I would pull, my left hand would pull on the yoke a little bit to the left and the plane would start drifting. To the left. Just the yeah. left back. My shirt's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, yeah. my bad. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it a lot. So that's difficult as well for them to brief yeah. and fly and just maintain situational awareness. And I think that's just a difficult thing no matter who you are. You know, because you don't have autopilot or anything at that level to assist you. And there's your single man flying and trying to figure out. So what I used to do, my, have my students do, I used to just basically have them learn all the airports in the area. Yeah. It's not cheating. I'm like, just become familiar with every airport in this vicinity that you can potentially go for your check ride. Yeah, absolutely. So they had an idea of what was on the plate before they even looked at it. So that helped them out. That's big good because in Florida, there's so many airports. I could your, your examiner would be like, "Wow, we're going here." You're like, "Oh crap, I don't want to go to Miami." Yeah, <laughs> why are we going to Miami? So, exactly. So that prevented them from being completely clueless um, on what could potentially come. I had them at least look at everything once. That was in maybe a 30 mile radius. Yeah, you know, just just so they were familiar. You did all your training at Florida Tech. I did. Yeah. Did everything at Florida Tech all the way up through CFI. MEI. Oh, MEI. Nice. Yeah. Look at you, man. Yeah, the CFI, CFII, MEI, all the way How up. How many hours did you have when you were done with uh, instructing? When I was done with instructing, uh, maybe just over 12 or almost 13. Because I, I remember instructing for a while. I only needed 1,000 because I was qualified for that. Yeah. But I remember going, I think, over 1,200 by the time I got to the, the regionals. What was your was your goal regionals? Was your goal regionals and major airline pilot? Was that kind of set in your mind the path that you wanted to go down? Uh, definitely. Uh, my goal was get to a regional, get out as quickly as you can. And <laughs> get that seniority get to, number. Uh, yeah, get that seniority number. Now, um, my, my number one was definitely trying to get to Delta. I was like, I'm trying to get to Delta. So um, I lucked out. I'm very fortunate. What was uh, what attracted you to Delta so much? Uh, things that attracted me was it I, the double-breasted so, jacket cool and the hat. <laughs> I, that's definitely a part of yeah. it. <laughs> so I just love what they looked. I thought yeah. they just stand out, and and I really really do think they they stand out. So cool story. This is what made me want to work at Delta so badly. When I was a flight instructor at FIT, not a flight instructor. When I was a student actually at Florida Tech. Delta is one of the few airlines or the only mainline that flies into Melbourne International, which is where FIT is, mm -hmm. is located in Florida, right? Now, when I was a brand new student, about my third or fourth flight, I'll never forget, it was in November. It was a November morning. I was holding short of 2-7 left. And while holding short of the runway, I heard Delta check in on the radio and the visual. I remember the flight number. It was Delta 1856. That's crazy. <laughs> and this guy had the most majestic pilot voice I've ever heard. It was the real deal. I was like, this guy is the real deal. You know, I heard him saying, you know, Delta 1856 is on the visual two seven left or something like that. And I'm like, yo, this guy is the <laughs> man. I want to be like this guy. And that's just how it started. Just like that. You know, I was like, I want to be like this guy. And then, Every time the Delta guys would come in on the um, MD-88 back then, I think it was also the DC-9 every now and then too um, in Melbourne. I've also seen 319s when mm -hmm. I was there. But every time they would come in, I would just look up to these guys so much. They would just say the right things. They wouldn't make any mistakes on the radios. I mean, granted, what I knew back then, it wasn't a mistake. But now I hear yeah. mistakes all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, or I even make mistakes. And I'm like, well, I guess these guys were making, mis were making mistakes. I was just... <laughs> Yeah, I was just, I just didn't know any better. And I was just so, you know, thrilled and excited to be like them that you just skip all the bad yeah. stuff. So that's really how the attraction really started. Just like that, just seeing them 
in action and hearing them on the frequency while I'm in my little Cherokee holding short. <laughs> so what regional did you go <laughs> to to set yourself up for the major? I went to Compass Airlines. How was the experience at Compass? Did you enjoy it? Uh, definitely. Um, it was a great time when I was at Compass because uh, the crews are mostly uh, my age. It's a great young pilot group, great uh, group of guys, and great group of flight attendants. And at the time, we had really good routes on the Embraer 175 out of LA and Minneapolis and Seattle. It was super long legs. So it was great for time building. It was a newer jet. Um, in terms of regionals mm-hmm. and which is um, rare <laughs> yes great layovers at the time i'm talking um 17 18 hour layovers in like San, cities like san oh, francisco dang. or sacramento or dallas like uh, you know i'm looking at sometimes 30 hour layovers in in vancouver canada which was like my favorite city at the time so it was it was a great i had a great time at compass Airlines. what um uh, where did you so say you're from florida so did you have to move or did you commute you know, it's crazy. I did a five hour commute. Man, so I would crazy. drive about an hour and a half. <laughs> I am crazy. But at the time, let me tell you, I'm a someone who is very, and I don't mean to toot my own on, I'm very determined yeah. when it comes to achieving a goal. And at my, t- my, at my thinking back then, which it, it, the gamble paid off, was this is the place that has quickest movement at the time, the best routes nice airplane kick us upgrades all the stuff that i wanted was here only issue was i'm gonna be based in la because that's the junior base and i'm thinking i'm like mom i remember getting up one day when i got i said mom i'm going to la and she's like you're what? Like, you're like, what? <laughs> i'm going i'm going to la and she's like okay well why so i explained to her and she's like well honey if that's what you want um you know i completely support you and so i got a crash pad out there but I was never really in the crash pad. And back then, because my seniority moved up so quickly, had the opportunity to make my schedule the way I wanted. So I, I don't have a wife or kid. So I stacked all my flying together. So I was doing like six days on a day off four or five day on a day off. And then like three days and then I'll come home for like, oh, two nice. Weeks. I would just stack them together. So I'd really be in the crash, but maybe like two or three nights, which is the nights in between trips. And, um, the crazy thing is, <laughs> I flew so much when I was there. My first 11 months, or my first 11 and a half months on the line, I had a thousand hours and I timed out. They're like, we can't use you anymore. I, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, and, and I was commuting across the country. So that's when I took the initiative and I joined pilot recruiting and I started volunteering a lot with Compass and Delta and Habitat for, Habitat for Humanity. And all of that stuff. I was doing a lot of extra stuff in that month and a half that I couldn't really do anything flying wise. I was using it to build other stuff on my resume. Where did you feel like you got burnt out at all flying that much and that often and commuting that often? I yeah. did, I, but I didn't start feeling it on towards the end of my time at yeah. Compass. So I only, I was fortunate. I only spent two years, a little over two years there. And when it was towards the end of my time there. I started feeling it. I'm like, yo, I'm getting that. I remember one state I was off for like about a week and a half and I went back to work and I'm still just struggling. I'm like, okay, this is probably chronic fatigue that they talked about. And it was, I remember before I started at the majors, I had about two and a half weeks off and I stayed home. I did nothing but sleep. I just stayed there and I slept. I was like, I'm just going to stay home. I'm going to sleep. I'm not traveling. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not studying anything. I'm just going to stay here and I'm going to sleep. And I literally hibernated for about two That's weeks. Crazy. So yeah, I definitely got burnt out. And how long were you? So that was at the later in your career. So did you have your applications in with Delta already or the majors and you're on your way out or it was, yes, okay. I, well, I had my application in the moment I finished Iowa. Oh, so <laughs> my, my recommendation to you is uh, uh, anyone who's trying to get to the majors, who's going to listen to this podcast is as soon as you can put your app in, put it in, you have nothing to lose. You cannot win the lottery. If you don't gamble, it's true. Like seriously, I, I did not expect to get a call as soon as I did. Now I was doing everything I could to raise eyebrows and get attention, but I didn't expect it so soon. You know, it's like, I got it and I'm like, okay, crap. No, (laughs) it's like, wait, I've been begging for this and now it's here. And now I'm nervous. I I don't know what to do. Yeah. So I start calling everyone. So put your app in as soon as you can and just 
keep update. I used to update my application every single trip. That's crazy. I feel like I got probably called maybe because I got a, they were yeah, they're like, dude, stop. Know, I'm, just yeah. <laughs> I'm just playing. Like, this dude won't yeah, stop. Marlon, you know? give it a break, man. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. So I, I would finish. I was like, okay, here's 12 or 13 more hours. Here's 15 more hours. Here's 20 more here's hours. Here's one more approach. Yeah. So I would just, yeah, here's one more approach. <laughs> here's another yeah. hold. So I would, I would just update my application a lot. So um, that's kind of what I did. Well, yeah, I like how you said that. It's like, you can't win the lottery unless you gamble. Now I'm not necessarily endorsing everyone to go play the lottery, but with the airlines and stuff. Yeah, not literally. Yeah, you can't be, <laughs> like if your goal is to be the youngest pilot ever hired at Delta, you can't be that pilot unless you put your application in, you know? So you have, my, what do you have exactly. to lose? And I haven't. You have nothing to lose. Like, it's not even like they charge <laughs> you. Most people have their airline apps up. Are renewed per year. I think it was fifty nine dollars yeah, a year. Like that. Yeah, most people have it anyways from the regionals. So it's like you're paying fifty nine dollars for ongoing application. Just and I and I don't you know there's different views on this, but I had gotten my app professionally looked yeah. at because I was like you know what I've seen too many guys. I've had a lot of captain mentors at Compass. Whether they knew it or not, they were actually mentoring me. They'll give me advice and they'd be like, "Snap, I gotta fix an email today." You know, which is basically an error on your application. Uh, and now they got a, they a lot of them waited a few months before they got the actual interview because they have one little error. So I heard that and I was like, you know, I'm just going to pay the money and make sure I don't have any errors. I'm going to get a second set of eyes, a professional that does this for a living. And um, that's kind of how I approached it. Who'd you use? Um, I use Cage Consulting. Nice. I've heard of them before. I've heard of them. I think it's Emerald Coast yeah. is another one. Have I said it yeah. correctly? Yeah. It, I know two two of my buddies I got on um, fairly young as well. I use Emerald Coast. I use Cage. Now you got to be careful when you use it because the um, the interview portion of it. They, I'm sure you've heard of canned answers where you know some people will kind of memorize <laughs> what they yeah. want to say. And I strongly like. I remember Cage looking at me and saying, "You know what? You do a really good job." Just, just tell your story the way you want to tell it because you do a good job. Just try to incorporate these factors, like say where, set up yourself for your story and then tell your story. So I don't recommend if you're using a service that's going to tell you to say everything this way. I recommend just because they want to get to know you, you know, like whoever is interviewing you. I used to do interviews. We, t- we typically want to know you. We don't want to, we know what's in your right. application. Already. We know you can fly planes. So we, we know you flew to regional. It's exactly. Like, yeah. so. An interview is for a chance for you to set yourself apart from everyone else. And for them, like you said, get to know you. So if exactly. everyone uses cage and everyone has the same scripted answers, then there's no, there's no they're, way, they're, yeah, they're there's no, no way to, yeah. to prove yourself. And there's no way to set yourself apart. Yeah. So I think that definitely helps to use that advice or use that service. Cause if you think about like everyone's working up to get to a major and maybe you're thinking about your applications yeah. in, you haven't got that call yet. It's like, well, why not put the money to do it? Cause it's probably, I think when I looked up, it's like a couple hundred dollars, maybe like $500 or. Yeah. I think it was about yeah, $500. So what's yep, $500 for you to get your dream job. If this can, when you're 28 years old, 25 years old, if it can get you on with Delta United or American, like what that's going to be the best investment you've ever done in your life. It's been the best investment I've ever done in my life. I definitely don't regret it because, you know, the people that didn't want to do it and got the fixed email. And let's, let's say figuratively that they waited six months. Now think about six months of money at the end of your career at like a, let's say a triple sub captain's pay at, you know, top level pay six months. You just gave up that. You know, now that sounds dramatic, but that's theoretically what happened. Yeah. I mean, it's not as dramatic. It's really true because. I've heard yeah, of people, six months I've heard of people yeah. even like not even six months, it's been closer to a month or even a couple of weeks where they were a captain yeah. for five years before they, they became a captain. And that's also bad timing. That's just everything went wrong in that situation. And that's not to say it couldn't happen again. Yeah. There's a good chance that situation could come back to the industry because as we know, aviation is a very cyclical industry. So it's you got to put all your eggs in the basket. Unpredictable. Yep. Yeah. Very unpredictable. So. All right. So you, uh, you used cage, you went to the interview and you killed the interview obviously, cause you have a job at Delta. What would you say the interview process was like at Delta? Oh, it was great. It was a good experience. They, they make sure that you feel, I remember when we went in, the first thing we did was we talked, um, with the head of uh, hiring department and they basically make you feel comfortable. They make you feel comfortable. And then, um, during the process, you know, half does testing and basically half, um, 
does the HR stuff. And that was kind of the process without getting too um, specific. And uh, it was a good, it was a good experience because they make you feel welcome. They make you feel like they want you. And they, it was great. It was a great experience. Even people that I know that didn't get the job said it was one of the best experiences they've ever oh, had. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah, it was, it was good because they make you feel comfortable and make you feel like you're wanted because they, they basically, and, and don't quote me because it's not the exact yeah, way no, I remember. Quoted. But, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> basically, you know, there's thousands of people that are applying for this. If we didn't want you here, you yeah. wouldn't be here, you know, in summary. And that, that may put me at ease because I'm thinking, you know what? That is yeah. kind of true. I know so many people that would love to be here. So the fact that you're here, you know, we want you here. So it was, it was a great experience. What definitely. were your nerves like? So like you said, this has been your dream since you're holding short or even earlier, five years old, but more specifically Delta yeah. when you're holding short and you're Cherokee at Melbourne. And now you're finally sitting in the room. You're sitting in the room with people that have the opportunity to hire you. What were your nerves like? Were you freaking out the whole time? Or were you able to keep it cool? You know what? I honestly was about nervous for about the yeah. first 10 minutes. And then after that, I was just so confident. I said to myself, you know what? This is it. This is it. This is your chance. Don't blow it. And I was excited more than anything. I, I was thinking, I was like, I cannot believe. I mean, if you, <laughs> that's all that was going through my head. I had this big old smile. And I was like, I cannot believe. I mean, it felt so cool. So soon. Like, so grateful. Like, I cannot believe this is actually happening. So I was more excited than nervous throughout most of the process. I was just in awe. Like, I cannot believe I'm here. I cannot believe I'm here. I cannot believe I'm here. I'm so How excited. How old were you when you got hired there? Uh, Dang, man. That's crazy. <laughs> that is wild. That, yeah. That's really cool. That's, that's impressive. Like I said, you're probably one of the younger ones that get hired there. Yeah, definitely. So I'm very grateful. I'm so, 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 so grateful. I can't, I can't stress that enough. I still can't believe to this day. Sometimes I look and I see an aircraft take off, a Delta jet. And I'm like, I cannot believe. You're like, that's me. That's me. So, I'm here. Yeah. Right. So, um, definitely. Uh, probably my happiest moment in life. Yeah. And I know you said it. I got that. I know you said it before. What plane are you on? What plane do you fly? I'm on the uh, MD-88. Right, so you got to shovel coal to make sure it starts and you got to, you don't have a GPS. You know and- yeah. <laughs> but you know what? Despite all the, I don't want to say negatives or all the jokes that are made about the 88. Yeah. I'm really happy. I feel yeah. And the reason is it's definitely made me a better pilot because it, it just makes the level of thinking that you have to do now or the stuff you didn't think about. Because I, when I flew the Embraer at Compass, it has a FADEC. It has really good automation. And now you are the automation. You are the FADEC. <laughs> you know, you are that guy. You are that, you know, you're that guy that has to do it because the airplane is not going to just do it. So it makes you think even system, you know, systems wise, the the thing I the things I think about now is like well I never used to think about that you know so it's it's definitely made me a better pilot it makes me plan so far ahead you know because even like let's say the engines on the JTA because the traditional turbojets they take a bit longer mm-hmm. to spool so you have to plan you know ahead so I'm really really happy I flew it and I can tell my kids one day when I do get kids that your dad is a legend. <laughs> He flew the mad dog. <laughs> so, you're going to have a hat. This is after the mad dog at Delta. Yeah. Yep. I'm like mad dog pilots are legends or something That's like that. Our legends fly the mad dog. So um, I'm really happy. I flew it. Um, I'm still very happy. I'm flying. When are they, they so have I'm them. Great. They're setting to retire those soon, right? Yeah, I, th- I believe they've started, but I personally don't know the yeah. exact date because it, it's so, it, it keeps yeah. changing. It's all about me. So I, I really, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's all about, um, I guess, new deliveries and all that. But I, I'm not too sure. The higher ups will know, but I really don't know. I'm just here, flying the thing and enjoying it. I will be off it soon, though. At least I will be on the seven three seven thirty seven. Have you been that already? Is that where you're going to? Um, yes, I was awarded it, but I I'm waiting to go on uh, for training. I think it's probably going to be later on this year. I'm going to go. How long do you think it'll be till you can hold a captain? I have no idea. <laughs> and I don't even know if I would as soon yeah, as I get there. Wait a little bit. Not that I don't feel not that I don't feel confident or I don't think I have the ability because I think I do. Um, but I just feel like 
I would probably enjoy a little bit of quality of life first because, you know, taking an early upgrade at any company, you are now basically going to be the bottom yep. of the list. You're going to get the schedule that nobody wants Absolutely. kind of deal because, you know, everything is driven by seniority. So I don't know if I would take it as soon as I get the opportunity. Now, the 88, um, there's there were tons of, I'm sure you've heard, tons of early or quick upgrades on it back then. So I don't know how or how soon because it, it's just it's one of those things it's so unpredictable it just depends on who bids because if nobody above me bid captain and i go in and throw it yeah. in i get it like, oh <laughs> you know we have a saying that says bid what you want and yeah. want what you bid because you just don't know you will throw in your hat the, the ticket no and you idea. get it you know so, yeah <laughs> so, you better make sure you want what you bid because you might yeah, actually exactly get some people the job i fly at now they uh they bid captain like you said they might not want the plane that they bid captain on four years ago and then all of a sudden their bid's still in and guess what they're getting they're getting captain on that plane it's like uh-oh. yeah exactly so you just gotta you gotta keep it you gotta keep your bid yeah, current for so. sure that's really cool man 24 years old at delta that is unbelievable and that's man you did it you had a dream at five and you you like you said you're a determined guy and you can clearly tell that you're determined because you went after it and you got it and you did everything everything possible and you it sounds like you made some sacrifices too you had to move away from your mom you had to come to florida you had to oh, yeah, do all definitely. that stuff man. i i remember i remember moving back into my mom because i was never home i had my own apartment and stuff and one day my mom was like you're never home you don't have a wife or kids why are you paying all these this money for bills and all that and you're never home you're always flying and i said mom you know what you're right my lease was going to be up in like about yeah. two or three months and I gave it up because I was never home. I was flying. Maybe I was getting 10 days off. But then with the commutes and stuff, I'd probably be home in my bed, maybe like seven nights a month. You're paying thousands of dollars so was, for rent. Really, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was really going at it. And then, you know, regional pay is not the greatest. No. So we all First year is all right when you get that 30,000 <laughs> signing bonus. But once you go back to your second year, it's like, oh, yeah. wait, this is what we actually get paid. <laughs> Yeah, and it sounds good when they say it, but once the tax yeah. hits that, you're not getting no. thirty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, it was it was definitely uh, tough times and sacrifices that I was. I remember being uh, all right. So this is I'm not really superstitious, but the timing on all of these were just completely mind blowing. So I did my first flight ever on October third, mm-hmm. right? October 3rd, 2011 was the first time I flew an airplane. Now, when I was going home one night on a red-eye flight, because I used to take the red-eyes all the time when I was at Compass, because I'm leaving West Coast now. So I'll finish work, let's say 8, 9 o'clock, and I'll take the 10 o'clock flight out or something like that. And I'm on a red-eye flight. It was October 2nd. I won this red-eye flight. And I remember praying. I was in an exit row, and I had, like, my back was hurt. And I was like, man, I'm working too much this month. <laughs> And I remember praying and I said, you know, oh God, like I can't, I can't, uh, I can't keep doing this. I know I'm young, but my body's being burnt out. You know, if I could get, I know I've only been doing this for a short period of time compared to others, but if I could get my breakthrough soon, that'd be great. And I flew, I flew home that morning and I prayed again. Now, so when I got home, it was October 3rd. I was like, okay, today makes six years since the first time I flew an airplane. And I went to bed from like around seven and I woke up at 10 o'clock. And that was that same day I got the interview. Shut up. That's like, crazy. October 3rd, October 3rd, <laughs> six years later. And then I got the interview invite the same November morning about around the same time I decided that I wanted to work. That's crazy. Delta. And Funny thing is, now when I went to class in January, I end up with the same MD-88 aircraft I used to lust over. So be careful what you're actually, yeah. you might actually get you're it. You're going to get it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I was like, now I'm in class and I'm thinking, please don't let me get the 88. Please don't let me get the 88. And I end up getting the MD-88. So <laughs> you got to be careful what you ask for. Because now God's probably like, you know what, dude, you've been asking uh, me for this and now I'm giving it to you. And you're like, like oh, now I don't you don't want, want it. it what the heck, man? <laughs> Ungrateful. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, it's just, and I have a lot more, I guess, kind of dates and stuff that I can dig up too. But like, that was just the most, the craziest one to think of all the days of the year. I started October 3rd and I get the invite the same day. 
I wanted to work there. And in November, I got the interview in November, got the conditional job offer there. And then of all the airplanes, it's like the same airplane I used to watch the guys come in on is the one I'm on now doing the same route that these guys used to do. So it was pretty That's exciting. Crazy. And I'm guessing you fly to Melbourne every once in a while. So you fly yes. the same route. I've you probably, what was it a Delta 1895? You probably fly that route all the time. I think it was, yeah, but now they, they, I think the flight numbers change every so oh, often, every year. That would so be cool was, to fly the same um, flight number. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but uh, it was 1856. Oh, that was close. But I, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, you at least right? got 18, right? <laughs> I did something right. But, yeah, it was crazy. What are your boys and buddies back home? What do they think about all this? How you're flying a Delta? How you're doing all oh, that? Are man. they pumped for you? <sighs> it's Super, super, super like, all right. So I'll go to the airport at home and most, a lot of mm-hmm. people know me. Cause I was, um, I did a uh, actual interview with the, the biggest newspaper company there back home. Um, I did a few different interviews on the radios there and stuff. And then I had like a YouTube video that kind of went viral amongst okay. the country. So you're famous so is what you're telling me. Like, it's like you say and then it's Marlon days, right? I wish (laughs) I wish but you know so honestly my country has been so supportive of me it's it's the love and the the support I've gotten because people when they hear when I where I'm from and just a Jamaican being on the world stage at the second largest airline in the world it's It's unbelievable it's, it's just crazy yeah so people yeah my country people like they are so supportive everyday people are like dude we're so proud of you we're so proud of you so i actually go back there um i've been back there a few times i volunteer a lot on my off days and just talk to schools and just try to instill a little bit of belief in the kids there because it's tough there you know so i try to motivate them and help them to believe that you know anything anything is possible because i was just in their shoe a few yeah, years seriously because you're 24 it's unbelievable man that's so cool <laughs> yeah, I, I don't yeah that's either. awesome I just, I cannot believe it, but yeah. here I am. <laughs> what, um, do you think there's a good track? I know we kind of talked about how aviation is good in Jamaica and how people still want to be pilots, but do you feel like there is an actual track for kids to go on to become a pilot? Or do you think there can be a better track to get more pilots from Jamaica? Um, I think that, so the issue is, is just having the right to work yeah. in the U.S. And then, um, and that just comes, you have to either get married to a U.S. citizen or you have to have family that are U.S. citizens that can file for you. That's the biggest hurdle or hindrance there. Now they can come in student visas and um, and stuff, but even if they do come in a student visa and they get their license, they don't have a right to work here. So that's that's the biggest hurdle. Now you never know with the pilot shortage, they might start sponsoring work mm-hmm. permits in a few years when the regionals can't staff what they need. So um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking that's probably gonna if if they start struggling to get pilots at the regional levels, I think they're probably gonna start sponsoring people because I don't know the exact fine print and the rules in regards to sponsoring, but I do know for a fact if you're gonna have a job and it makes sense, you have to advertise it to Americans mm-hmm. first, and if the spots aren't filled, then you can start going yeah, international for it. That would make sense, you know, because it's America. You 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 want to cater for want to cater for your own people before you go and get right. international people to come fill a spot that an right. American can do. So that's the biggest issue with them, because I was talking to a friend of mine about you know potentially one day if we do have it, you know, maybe starting a flight school there or starting something that the kids can go to training and and have opportunities there. But now the issue is when they get all that they don't have a job because the air Jamaica doesn't exist anymore. Um, they were bought up by Caribbean airlines. So, um, that's, that's kind of the issue. Will the other Island airlines hire Jamaicans to be a pilot or do you have to be a citizen of the actual country where the airlines based? I think you have to be an okay. actual citizen of it. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I know of some other islands sponsoring mm-hmm. people kind of the same deal if they don't have issues but it's so limited there and rare yeah. that it's it's scarce and you gotta kind of i guess know people and have good recommendations to kind of get in some so places. i would say your dream if everything goes right in your career you know you're a, 
a 787 captain flying all over the world and you have enough money to start a flight school to help kids in Jamaica become pilots. Is that something that you would want to do? I'd want to do that, but, um, yeah, that, that's something I definitely want to do. No, it'd have to be a 350 captain because we don't have the seven eights here. But. <laughs> hey man, I'm thinking down the road. <laughs> that's, that's You're gonna, you'll buy a 787 yeah. one day. <laughs> yeah. You never know. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the, all jokes aside, that's definitely something. I'm very, very, very big on giving back. I really love giving back because I remember when I didn't have the opportunity or at least I didn't see a way out. And I remember not even believing that even though I believe there's still majority doubt because of just where I was coming from and what I had and what I had to get, let's say financially to get to where I want. It was, it was a big struggle. So that's why now I, I literally try my best to, all right. So even like my Instagram mm-hmm. platform, I use my Instagram platform as just for mentorship and just kind of sharing my story and just aviation related is what I mainly use it for. Because I remember when there was a time I just didn't believe it was possible. I was like, yeah, this is just not going to happen. And my mom just kept pushing me. She's like, you're going to do it. It's going to happen. You're going to pull it off. I know you, you're going to do it. So my big thing was if, is if I could go back and just give back and just make kids believe that they can do it. Do you think that's the biggest thing holding people back other than the fact that obviously there's not an airline in Jamaica, it's just letting them know that they have the opportunity to do it? I think uh, the biggest thing would be just the finances portion of it. You know, it's just a lot of them can't even send themselves to school. But that's the, the question I get asked the most. Like, how do you fund yourself to school? If I got a dollar for... Every time I, I was asked that question, or maybe like five dollars for every time <laughs> I was asked that question, I could probably send somebody through flight school. Yeah. Over the last few years, if I was supposed to get five dollars for every time somebody asked me that, and I put all these five dollars on a stack, I could probably send somebody to go get their commercial license. That's how many times I've been asked this question by not just Jamaican, but Jamaicans, but a lot of other international countries, mm-hmm. or even people here in the U.S. ask me that, like, "Hey, how how did you you know?" Because it's still hard for people yeah. here to send themselves to flight school because it's just People can't expensive. justify spending that kind of money yeah, to go yeah. fly on a plane when obviously you can make good money and you can get yeah. to an airline, but it's still it's still a lot of money. No matter wh- where you are, where you look at it, it's still a lot of money. And even if you can justify, if you just can't find it, yeah. you just can't find it. If you can't afford it, you just can't afford it, even if it can be justified. So absolutely true. Um, that's that's kind of where the the biggest barrier is for for for. All them. right. Oh, I have one more question for you. It will be. So obviously sure. you are, well, we'll kind of play off this still. So you're going back to Jamaica, you're near a Delta double breasted pilot uniform with a sweet hat. You know, you're walking around, this kid comes up to you and he just really, really wants to be a pilot. It's pretty much you as this kid, as a five-year-old coming up to you and you have the opportunity to, to tell him what your job is like, to tell him what you did, to tell him how you did it. And let's say perfect world, he has the funds, he has the ability to get a work visa. What would you tell him to do to be hired at Delta as young as you were and put yourself in a position? What are kind of three tips and tricks or just kind of goals that he should set to get to where you are today or where he wants to be? Our three tips are, I don't know if it's going to be three, but I'm going to try to give just some a short tips yeah, go if for I it. could. It doesn't have if to be I three. Can. So the first, the first tip I would say is when you get to school, do very well in school. Not just the flying portion of it. Do well in school overall. Get a good GPA and do well in school. Also in your school, start taking up leadership roles. Start joining different organizations. Start volunteering from your young. Start building your resume because everything you do you know, from even high school, you're starting to write your story and your resume. So start getting into the pattern of what airlines like to see. Yeah. So that's one thing with the school and the volunteering and stuff. And then the next thing I'd probably say to him is once you do get to a regional airline, to not get comfortable. I've seen too many guys go to the regional and they start enjoying their days off and they start doing this and they start bidding all these, this off time and they start traveling all over the world. And they, and again, to each his own, but 
if I'm giving advice to this kid, I'm going to say, hey, you can do this later on. That extra 10 or 15 days that you would get, go put in some extra hours and join something at your, and do something at your airline. Like I was a pilot recruiter. That's not the only way, but I do know that leadership roles are, are great. It's great on your app. So I would tell them, do something at your airline because at the end of the day, even though you're applying to be a pilot, and this is my, again, this is my opinion. This is the way I think companies look at it. They know you can fly an airplane, but what else do you have to offer to make you stand out from the other 50,000 applicants? If everybody comes up with just hours and you're just, and you're what one person that you're a great community person and you're a good leader, you've joined, you're very active. Then I would probably pick that one dude. That's a great leader and he's very active and he flies on top of all that because at the end of the day, you represent your company and your brand. So, um, that's probably just two things I can think of that. Yeah. If I could say to someone, just do go the extra mile. Don't get comfortable at the regionals, do well in school and just take up additional leadership. That's good. No, I, I agree with both of those. I think that is a good way to help stand out and, getting comfortable is hard. You know, you, you finally get a couple of days off. You've worked really hard. I mean, people at regionals work hard. It's like, mm-hmm. you deserve to have time off. You deserve to go travel. You deserve to do other stuff. Exactly. So I agree. It's, uh, I mean, but at the same time, I mean, some, it, it all just works out for different, different people, different reasons for different people. Some people like, some yeah, people exactly. everyone's in a different situation. You know, some people can't be exactly. So if you can do it and go for it. And, uh, that's, that's my biggest advice cool, I can man. give. Is just um, make sure you start doing well from early on because they're they're not just looking at. I don't think they'll just look at oh he did well his junior year or whatever. They're gonna look at you as a whole package from all the way up through high school and all this. Is this guy consistent? Is this really who he is, or he just pretended for the last two years to try and get this job? You know, so that's cool, man. I appreciate that advice. I think that advice even even helps people that are at regionals or that it's not necessarily just for a five year old. So I think that's, that's really good advice. And I think a lot of people get out a lot of that. I have one more thing for you. I did kind of lie to you, but I have a rapid fire section where I'm just going to ask random aviation questions and you have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. Okay. And it does, it needs to be one Uh, word. I mean, as short and as quick as possible. What is okay. your favorite generally aviation airplane? So like a trainer airplane. Piper what is your favorite business jet? The G6. What is your favorite airline? Or sorry, what is your favorite airline airliner? So your favorite commercial airplane flown by the airlines? <laughs> uh, the triple seven. What is outside of Delta? What is your favorite uh, paint job for an airline? It would be it'd be the United Seven Eight, the Gold Street, the new the job yeah, that they have now. Yeah, cool. I would agree. I like that blue, the blue line that follows the curve that follows the plane. That looks really good. Yes, so, I love going to San Francisco and seeing that airplane. It's like, oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> that that'd be my favorite. For What's sure. your favorite overnight city? San Diego. What's your favorite thing to do on an overnight? Explore. Yeah. What um? All right, so you are you have a tight commute. You're really hungry. You're gonna go get some food. What is your go to food at the airport at the food court? Go to food, probably Popeyes. Popeyes, yeah. I'm more of a Bojangles guy myself. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Charlotte. That's where Bojangles is from. So I'll let it slide this time, but Bojangles where it's at. <laughs> What's one of your favorite approaches that you've ever shot city-wise and like just airport-wise? It'd be um, Missoula. Yeah. Missoula, Montana. Cool I remember doing a D, uh, I did an arc up the valley where there's mountains on both yeah, sides. that's crazy. And then we broke off almost like a left base and I was lined up with the runway. That was probably the coolest approach I've ever did. What's one of your least favorite approaches you've ever done? Least favorite approaches? <sighs> or maybe most challenging. I don't know if that's a better way to word it. Most challenges I've done, it hasn't been because of the airport. It's just been because of the weather. Yeah. Well, okay. So yeah, weather-wise, so where would that be? If you have one in the mind. It, it was probably, it, I have Memphis one night. It was really bad going yeah. in Miami International with the, the thunderstorms. Those are the two I can think of. What is your favorite airport in general? Favorite airport in general is Atlanta. What's your least favorite airport? 
least favorite airport is LaGuardia. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I, the last person I ever even said their favorite airport is LaGuardia. So it's really funny. It's uh, you either hate it or love it, man. There's Ooh. no in between. Absolutely no in between. No in between. Yeah, no exactly. All right. Let's see what else do I have. Um, who are some mentors that you look up to or who are kind of aviation, uh, aviation heroes that you have in the industry if you have any? Aviation heroes that I have. Um, these are all just um, people that you might not even know. That's fine. But, um, there's people I look up to. Um, I look up to Tennessee Garvey. He's a, a first officer at United Airlines now. Um, I look up to Captain Will. He's a captain at Delta. Um, who else do I really look up to? I look up to Captain Greg. He's a captain at Delta as well. That's cool. Gisela, who flies are, at Cayman Airlines, right? Yeah, I do look up to her too. She's she's, she's my role yeah. model. I'm trying to be as cool yeah, as her. She's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, now you guys will be a pilot, pilot alums. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's yeah. what's up, man. Well, hey, so, those are all yeah. the questions I have for you, man. You have passed with flying colors. And I'll just say a quick thing, man. Like you have done it. You have set a goal and you went out and you achieved it at a very young age. And I think that's really cool. And I'm proud of you, man. I think that's amazing that you have just worked your butt off for this and you deserve everything that you're going to get in the future and everything you're getting right now. So be proud. Wear that double-breasted jacket with uh, you know, with your chest puffed up high and just enjoy the moment, man, because you're <laughs> doing it. You're flying for Delta. It's awesome. Yeah, Justin, thank you so much for having me. And I, I'm really, I would really like to say I admire what you're doing with Pilot to Pilot here. It's, it's a great way to just kind of hear different people's stories and and I told you before, I've tuned in a few times, a few episodes. I mean, I don't listen to all the episodes, but I do tune in and I really like what you're doing here with this. So keep up the good work and we'll be in I touch. I appreciate it, man. I really appreciate that. And yeah, we'll definitely be in touch. All right, sounds all right, good. Man, see ya. AV Nation, that is a wrap of episode number 74 of the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to today's episode. As I said earlier, if you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review on iTunes. Check out our Patreon page. Thanks to Shuler Brandon for being the Patreon of the week. If you'd like to be the Patreon of the week, go to patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. Aviation Nation, thank you for everything. Thank you for listening. And as always, happy flying.